0: Clear Thinking Out Loud, written and narrated by Mark Turrell of Uncommon Knowledge. Hi, I'm Mark Turrell of Uncommon Knowledge and welcome to the Dark Side of Your Emotional Needs, Challenge. How the diverted need for challenge wrecks lives. Now when have you felt most alive? Well, I'm willing to bet it's when you've been so engrossed, so engaged in some part of life that nothing else mattered in that moment. Perhaps you were rising to some sublime creative challenge or surmounting some difficulty you had no idea you could surmount. How do we feel in such times? The self, with all its complications and preoccupations and procrastinations, is suspended as you become pure awareness and action in times like this. Being frequently engaged and fascinated makes us feel alive but the opposite to this is a kind of deadness of the soul. Many of us are bored, disaffected and disengaged. Boredom, before we know it, will break us. A lack of challenge and excitement leads to a sense that life is meaningless. As long as there is no or little challenge or surprise, We simply start to disengage, become depressed, no longer feel alive. But the old saying that the devil makes work for idle hands is true. Without meaning, we feel stale and lost. We're here to learn, flourish, work towards our potentials. We need to feel activated, intrigued, invigorated and enlivened by our days, at least some of the time. So in this occasional series, I look at what we need as human beings to be happy and healthy. The human givens of what it means to exist in our world. I've already looked at, among other things, how a need for attention, a vital and totally legitimate need, can be subverted to cause us and others harm. I return to the same analogy I've been pushing throughout this series, the need for water. But if your need is too great, or if you have never learned to distinguish water from engine oil, then you may drink what is poisonous to you. We do this when we instinctively seek to fulfill emotional needs in ways that backfire. Understanding how this happens helps us to see why human beings, both individually and collectively, develop and cause problems. So what about our universal need for creativity and challenge? Well, the first thing to understand is that it varies from person to person. Mine and yours may be really different. Positron emission tomography – try keeping your false teeth in when you say that – or PET scans have found that sensation-seeking extroverts have lower levels of arousal in a particular area of their brain stems than more withdrawn, less sensation-seeking introverts. The reticular activating system, RAS, is tuned differently in low-gainers, extroverts, versus high-gainers, introverts. If your RAS is tuned low, you'll get bored easily and seek excitement and sensation because not much is going on inside. So you have to seek, seek stimulation on the outside all the time. But if there's a higher level of internal arousal already, in your brainstem, you'll seek to keep things quiet and calm on the outside because there's so much going on on the inside. So some people need more external challenge than others. We all have some need for creative challenge and excitement, but the intensity of this need, like any need, varies from person to person. Some people have more of the openness trait and are naturally more attuned to seeking out novelty and challenge. But whether we're naturally a high gainer or a low gainer, we all need enough creative challenge. And when we don't have enough for our individual temperament, we suffer, and sometimes other people suffer too. Boredom brings with it many problems, but is also symptomatic. Notwithstanding all the benefits, and there are many, of electronic information, access and connectivity, it may be that all the current weapons of mass distraction and immediacy social media and all that may be training our brains to lose the capacity for prolonged and deep focus when focused fully the mind can be absorbed and stimulated enough by something as simple as a beautiful sunset but when it can't help but flit about like an intoxicated blue bottom fly from one update to the next the mind can be bored even amid plenty of stimulation. The boredom comes from within, because although there's stimulation on the outside, there's no real meaning being generated. Attention isn't being extended and fixed toward anything productive. It just slides around aimlessly like an untethered lifeboat in a storm. Never have we had so much access to experience and information and each other, yet somehow boredom seems to be increasing. So what can a lack of meaningful creative challenge due to people. Now, the stultifying sensation of boredom is a signal, a siren call, a seductive urge that calls you to have that affair, or gamble, or start a fight, or be needlessly outraged by something, needlessly upset by uh, a comment someone's made on YouTube, or bully someone just for kicks, or take drugs, or drink yourself into bewilderment. This is not to say that all all these activities are necessarily or wholly caused by the unfulfilled need for challenge or excitement, but they can be. There certainly appears to be a link between impulsivity, including gambling and other risk-taking and proneness to boredom. And if we fail to observe what we're like, we may never spot the pattern in ourselves. We may assume we or our clients gamble for deeper reasons. That's why it's so important to know how our primal basic needs drive our behavior, so that we can avoid destructive blindness when it comes to our own and our clients' actions. So always ask, what emotional need might this action be trying to fulfill for somebody? Psychology didn't just develop to understand other people. When we assume we're doing something for one reason, but really we're doing that thing for another reason, then we're in effect being tyrannised by our own psychology. It's easier and more flattering to convince yourself that you're attending that protest march because you really do believe in the cause rather than because it meets an unmet need for excitement or attention or status. And I address this in some depth in part one, the dark side of the need for attention. If I'm outraged or join a marauding mob essentially because I'm bored in life, but I believe that I'm doing the collective marauding for other reasons, after all it takes some integrity and courage to look at ourselves squarely and to see our real motivations, then I'm taking several large leaps away from self-knowledge. The problem with being disconnected from our own motivations is that we cease to be as productive and measured in the way that we live our lives as we could be we become less effective human beings. We're led around by the nose, so to speak, by our blind impulses to meet needs that we're not even aware of. We pursue anything that seems to meet an immediate emotional need and avoid anything, even if it's vital for us, that doesn't seem to meet an immediate emotional need. So instant gratification, as far as emotional needs are concerned, can be a real problem. But if we can meet our needs for challenge, excitement and creative effort productively then we don't need to blindly seek a destructive challenge such as a fight or seek out needless risk but there's more when not properly challenged the creative drive can cause us still other problems some of which can tip us into depression i don't have the time to worry i heard a woman say recently and that really got me thinking What is worry? Well, in essence, it's a use, often an uncontrolled use or misuse, of the imagination. You need creativity to worry. And after seeing thousands of clients over the decades, believe me when I say that people can find incredibly creative stuff to worry about. Sometimes I say, how on earth did you even think to worry about that? I've seen people create scary, depressing inner scenarios about stuff that I wouldn't even have had the imagination to worry about. Yes, at the far end of the spectrum, the imagination can become so out of control, so intense, that people even hallucinate. And we all do this during dream sleep or during extreme sensory deprivation. But those prone to psychosis may live within their uncontrollable created realities for extended periods and we can see psychosis then as extreme out of control creativity and that's not all that it is but it certainly has some of that element within it but short of psychosis many of us do spend too much time focusing on what we imagine sometimes to the point that the line between our imaginings and our actual observations of external reality becomes blurred we start to believe our worries and our catastrophizations more than we do in actual reality feedback from what actually happens. These imaginings can be extremely scary or depressing, and we know that worrying or negative rumination drives and maintains depression. We might imagine others don't like us, or that we uh, have done something wrong, or paint bleak futures and generally follow the dictates of our created inner constructs, all at the expense of just looking outward at reality. One task of a practitioner is to help people use their imagination constructively, more productively. Even when people ruminate excessively, if they do so with hope, they're less likely to be depressed by their imaginings, according to research. We can also help our clients not just stop misusing their creativity to catastrophize, but also to sometimes actually suspend the use of imagination altogether especially when situations are ambiguous. But untamed imagination or a failure to find creative meaning can lead to even worse consequences. So Nathan Fraudenthal Leopold Jr. was incredibly intelligent, apparently mastered 27 foreign languages. But along with fellow wealthy student Richard Albert Loeb, He murdered 14-year-old Robert Franks in 1924. Now, their creative challenge was to commit the perfect murder. More recently, British serial killer, Joanna Dennehy, supported by her besotted 7'3 boyfriend, Gary Stretch, yes, fact is often weirder than fiction, said she killed to see how it would feel, adding that murder got moorish for her and she got a taste for it. Then there was the case of sadistic killer Mark Reeb, who confessed to killing for kicks and many other cases besides. So can I do this? Is it possible? Will I get away with it? Yes, of course, you know, as I say, these are extreme examples that represent a tiny minority of offenders. But the same drive to cause trouble for the apparent completion of a need for excitement or creative challenge can also be seen in much lesser but still destructive actions. For example, Can I get this person to cry? Can I ruin this oh-so-pleasant meal for everyone by manufacturing a complaint about it? Can I start a row with my spouse or at Christmas with the in-laws? The need for excitement can smuggle itself well-disguised into many areas of life, as, of course, can the need for attention. You might say being driven to kill as a way of expressing creativity is the exclusive realm of the rare malignant psychopath, and yet millions of non-psychopaths have killed throughout history for created ideologies. Someone creates the ideology, then others become the avatar for or infected carrier of that ideology. So herein lies the power of these ideologies. Their carriers activate its patterns, however destructive, and they believe that they're doing good. And how many millions have been crushed under the creative tyranny of visionary utopianists. The need to create is indiscriminate because creation is deceptively close to destruction, at least among humans. We seem to be the only species with the creativity to kill for sport or ideology. More prosaically, Shelley, a client, told me she'd started shoplifting for the excitement because life had become so dull and boring and meaningless. She's hunting meaning, looking for it in places where it didn't really exist. Kyle told me he bit his fingernails to shreds when he was bored. Pamela, another client, says she'd gotten into the destructive habit of mocking her undemonstrative boyfriend in public for the buzz of it, to put him down because it gave her a buzz. Ian told me he'd get drunk and start fights with strangers on nights out just to feel alive, something he'd used to do, go out, and actually be physically violent just for the kicks. Then there was Philip, another client, and he became a millionaire by the age of 40. And at that point, he retired completely from working. And he told me that's when I started on the cocaine. And now it's got me by the balls. These are his words. And maybe I need a new creative challenge, he said. So I was happy when I was working, when I, when I lived by my wits and had to rise to the challenge of building my business, he said. And so it goes on. If we don't create something good, we may be driven to create something bad, to make discord, mayhem, or at the extreme end of the spectrum, murder. So make no mistake, it could happen to you or I, given the right or wrong circumstances. So how do your clients meet their needs for challenge and creative outlet. What are they working towards? How do they meet their needs for excitement? In ways which are productive. If we don't find creative meaning, it will find us. But will it really be creative or will it be destructive? The creative impulse is too easily mimicked by its evil twin, the destructive drive. In the words of Bob Dylan, he not being busy born is busy dying. So, I hope you found that useful. I'm Mark Terrell of Uncommon Knowledge, and if you'd like to subscribe to my email newsletter, you can find it over at unk.com slash blog, that's unk.com slash blog.